I did not pray for my spouse for a couple of reasons, but probably the top reason was because it had nothing to do with Kate. It had nothing to do with necessarily the idea of praying for your spouse first. It had everything to do with my heart about prayer. And I just spiritually arrived at a place where I was so cynical about prayer. What's up, fam? It's JJ. This is a mini Mansode Friday. I'm not going to lie. I get excited for a lot of episodes, but today in particular, I hope you guys really, really enjoy. I'm actually not a huge fan of praying for your future spouse, which is what I will get into in a bit. I promise there's a good reason why. Please don't cancel me or call me a heathen. Let me just explain. Let me just explain, okay? But before we get into that, I just want to let you guys know about some housekeeping items. Again, if you guys are going to Heart of Dating Conference and you are a dude, hit me up on Instagram, JJ Tomlin. I'm happy to plug you into the group. If you're coming to Heart of Dating Conference alone, please let me help you out. I want to be there for you. Every single individual person matters to us. We want you guys to have a great experience. And sometimes the best way to do that is in community. So I'm so proud and just blown away when people decide to come to something like conference alone. Like I say this all the time. I don't know if I would have done that as a single. Like it just takes a tremendous amount of like courage. You almost have that like YOLO screw it kind of, you know, mentality, which I think is great. Like that's taking a risk. It's putting yourself out there to change something in your life. That being said, I'm going to go ahead and skip what I am loving and I'm going to go straight to you in my DMs, which I love when you guys DM me. It is such an honor to serve you guys one-on-one. Listen, I know how it is as a guy, like we love to hold our cards close to our chest It's hard for us to open up sometimes. So just try it out. Like if there is a dating situation where you don't feel like you have clarity or you just need a second opinion on, please DM me. I would love nothing more than to serve you and help you in any way I can. So today's question is from my homie, Liam. So Liam, my dog, is from Ireland. He just DM'd me and he said, hey, I just connected with a girl on Salt. Uh, we actually just started up a long distance relationship. Congratulations. And even though she's in New Zealand, I'll be there next year, next September. So any advice f- for me in the meantime? Well, let me just say, like, we talk about long distance here in the US and we're talking like California to like Tennessee. for for New Zealand to Ireland, like I don't even know how many hours of time difference that is. I I, I actually think that you guys are probably on like completely, completely opposite schedules. So I can't even begin to fathom how challenging that might be. And that being said, with you guys being, um, you know, I think having like that in-person guarantee for a year from now and September is awesome. However, that is a long amount of time. And I would personally just say like, that's 10 months of relationship until then, 
you should probably know after 10 months of dating somebody whether or not you could marry them. So what's going to be really challenging for you guys is if you guys date for that 10 months, you know, I would just be super realistic on the the reality that you guys are not going to get in-person time. You guys are going to be building a relationship that's completely virtual. It's going to be highly emotional in the sense of like you guys spend a lot of quality time, virtual time together, uh, but you're not really going to get that physical bonding or the, you know, reality of uh, conflict. Like you're not really going to have the opportunity to be frustrated and angry in person and work through those problems, which is nice. The virtual barrier is great in the sense of it's pretty easy to resolve conflict because you can just walk away. You can just not respond to a text when you're feeling upset. Um, so if you guys do make it 10 months of a virtual relationship, I'm assuming there's just going to be no way you guys are meeting in person until then. It's not impossible. I mean, God works in all kinds of ways. Like, it, it can work. I'm just saying that's going to be a very patient 10 months. And I would, I would honestly focus on building a great friendship, like building as best of a friendship as you can virtually, whatever that looks like. And I would probably, it's going to be like an infant relationship to some degree, because there is just a degree to how deep you can get by only connecting virtually. Now it's not impossible I probably would, uh, at least in the first couple months until like you guys are in relationship, relationship exclusive with each other, I probably steer clear from like four hour, five hour FaceTimes and listen to each other breathe as you fall asleep. You know, <laughs> that's just because sometimes if, if we're not careful or guarding her heart or our, our heart, like we just fantasize and daydream and build up this huge romantic emotional infatuation with someone from a distance. And we fill in so many blanks about their life because all we're getting is just these highlights and snippets and good parts of them through this virtual relationship. You're also not getting any challenge in the relationship of, uh, you know, d doing day-to-day -day life where you're sacrificing. Like a good example I give all the, all the time is for me with Kate, like, buying her Starbucks and sending her like a, a sweet and thoughtful gift from Amazon maybe took me 30 seconds of time in Seattle and then I can go back to playing video games. Like that didn't really challenge me. It wasn't incredibly hard uh, for me to sacrifice anything except for maybe 30 seconds of time and $30. However, if I was to give her flowers and write her a note and do something nice for her in person, like you're talking about an hour or two of time and tasks and prep and truly sacrificing yourself for that person, which is the essence of relationship. So I'll go ahead and pause there. Great relationship. I love that you're just opening yourself up to whatever God might have for you and whatever country that might be. And obviously it helps that you have a guarantee that you're going to be in New Zealand next year. All right. So that was a lot. Let me just go ahead and jump into the episode today and start with this. I'm going to be really honest and really transparent with you guys. Like, I love hearing this from a pastor. Like, of course, I'm going to quote J.P. Pocluta. He talks about this, you know, notion where he hates reading the Bible. He's like, man, I say it. I preach it. Readers or leaders, it's good to read. I hate reading the Bible, but I know it's good for me. So I, I discipline myself. I force myself. I build habits around and, you know, reading the Bible, but I don't like reading. For me, I'll be honest. I I didn't like praying for my spouse. I did not practice the habit of praying for my spouse. It was never a priority. 
and now I got Kate. So there you go. Follow me. No, I'm just kidding. I would just say for me, I did not pray for my spouse for a couple of reasons, but probably the top reason was because it had nothing to do with Kate. It had nothing to do with necessarily the idea of praying for your spouse first. It had everything to do with my heart about prayer. And I just spiritually arrived at a place where I was so, for lack of a better word, cynical about prayer. Like my view on prayer, my stance on prayer, and I, of course, as a byproduct, my practice of prayer was so nonchalant because I had such a unhelpful idea of prayer. And it was this, God's will is inevitable. God's way is inevitable, whether or not I pray. What what happens, happens, regardless if I pray for it or not. And I would kind of have this holy mask on it of, you know, the most holy thing I could do, the most scripturally correct thing I could pray is, God, your will be done. Your will be done above mine. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. And what happens in that is I'm actually, I was, I was excusing myself from the responsibility and the idea of praying for specific things. God, would you please show up in this situation? Would you please provide a miracle in this situation? God, would you please show yourself, reveal yourself, impact this person's heart? And really what that is, was just, I mean, if I had to be honest, I was lazy because I I didn't want to go through all the time and effort. And two, I was scared. At the root of it, I was scared. I was scared that if God didn't actually show up in the situation, uh, I would be disappointed. If God didn't actually show up in the situation, maybe my prayer wasn't good enough and spiritually I wasn't in a place where I could command authority enough for God to actually surface. I was scared that uh, I would embarrass myself, especially if it was a prayer with other people, for other people, like an intercessory prayer. And for me, I would just kind of justify it in my mind with, um, you know, God, like, you know who I'm going to marry, like, you're going to take care of them, and you got this. So I'm not even going to bother praying for my spouse because that's in your control, and, and you got it, and I'm, I'm going to focus on my life and what I can do, and... Uh, yeah, like, let's just call it that. And I'll just keep <laughs> going on with my life. And, you know, I, I I think there's like the greatest trap we can fall into with the enemy is believing a shred of truth and then justifying it in the way that we want to believe it. There's an essence of truth in what I just said of releasing control. God's in control, his will above mine. But I would justify it and bend that truth and slant that truth for something that I really wanted, which was to remain in fear, to not walk in faith, and to be lazy with my prayer life. And that's just me being honest. And, you know, the question of should I pray for my spouse should probably start with, like, should I? Biblically, should I? Or, you know, what really counted for me, and the question I would ask is, does it matter? does praying for your spouse matter? Like I ended up with a amazing partner and spouse who, who I love so much, but I didn't really pray for her. So did like, I just get lucky. Did God just bless me? Like, 
why did that happen? Or another question to ask is, what happens when I do pray for my spouse? That's probably the best question we could ask behind should I or doesn't matter. So when we talk about prayer, you know, I just hope that you guys know until I did conducive and elaborate study on prayer, until prayer became a priority in my life, I was missing out on so much. And if you in your life have never done any extensive prioritization and transformation in your prayer life, studying God's word, asking what does it mean? How do I do it? How has prayer been practiced since the ancient times of Jesus? How did Jesus fundamentally in his day-to-day life as a way of life practice prayer? If you haven't done that, well, I'm not going to like slam the the gravel, the the judge's gravel on you today. But I am going to let you know as someone who also put it off for years and years, revitalizing and prioritizing my prayer life has transformed my life. Studying and learning about the way of prayer, the practice of prayer has blown away and radically transformed my mind, my soul, and my heart. And most importantly, how I practice my faith in day-to-day life has just... I I can't even put words to how it has just radically redeemed it. Like that is the best word. It has radically redeemed and revived my spiritual life. And if you don't believe it for me, my favorite thing to do, because when you listen to John Mark Comer, (laughs) uh, Tim Keller, any author and and pastor who's worth their weight in gold, they will have (laughs) 10 quotes of the saints of the faith, people who throughout the centuries of our Christian faith have left legacies. Um, These are some of the quotes on prayers that I dug up that could portray prayer in a way that I never could. And I want you to listen to these. I want you to really think and chew on each one. And I have an exercise for you at the end, but here they go. The whole reason why we pray is to be united into the vision and contemplation of God to whom we pray. That's Julian of Norwich. Okay, next. Prayer then is a matter of participating in the life of Jesus Christ. Prayer then is a matter of participating in the life of Christ. That's Michael Casey. All right, I've already done two quotes and just massively destroyed my original idea of prayer. Third, prayer is the inner bath of love which into the soul plunges itself. Prayer is the inner bath of God's love into which the soul plunges itself. That's St. John Vianney. Again, I would have never, never in my natural definition of prayer have ever even thought about the experience of prayer like that. The goat himself, St. Augustine, which by the way, if you ever hear a pastor quote St. Augustine, he is like one of the legends of Christian faith. He says, whether we realize it or not, prayer is the encounter of God's thirst with our thirst. 
God's thirst is that we may thirst for him. And that's the thirst that he created within us. Again, not how I would ever define prayer. St. Ignatius Loyola says, when it comes to prayer, work as if everything depended on you. Pray as if everything depended on God. I wish I would have heard that one years and years ago when it came to vision and faith and actions, okay? Charles Spurgeon, who y'all obviously know, says true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal conversation. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. And then the last one, which I love as far as just like the practicality and and the timing of prayer and how it fits in our day. George Herbert says, prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. Now, if any of these stuck out to you, and there was a lot of them, go ahead and rewind it. You can re-listen to any of those. I want you to stop and pause and wonder about it. Think about it. And then ask yourself, why did this stick out to you? Why did this one specifically stick out to you? And then ask yourself, how does that understanding of prayer and what they said stick out and contrast about my current prayer life? What about that and contrast to my prayer life is showing? Like a good example, work as everything depends on you, pray as everything depends on God. So for me, especially a couple years ago, I would say like that one really sticks out or would have stuck out for me because one, I was not working as F as if everything depended on me. For me, it was like a flip-flop. I was working as if everything depended on God and I was praying as if everything depended on me. And by flipping that, I love it because work as everything depends on you. For me, that would have invited me to full participation within life and the vision and the, the purpose that God created me for, okay? And then prayer would have brought me into such a place of deep humility and leaning and dependence on God that I would have been depending on God for everything, right? So what about those, those quotes on prayer really stuck out for you? You know, like, is your prayer one way? Is it, is it two ways? Is it, conversa- is it always conversational? Is it a distracted prayer? Like, is it an experience of God? Is it a bath in God's love? Do you even think about God's love at any point in your prayer life? Like these are great questions to ask because some of these things about your prayer life might have shreds of truth. It's great that part of your prayer life is conversational. It's great that part of your prayer life is a one-way asking of God, but it is so much more than that. You know, we've been seeing John Mark Comer the last few weeks at Vintage Church in L.A. If you're in the L.A. area or you have a friend who's in the L.A. area, let them know if they're hopeless, if they need a place with community and amazing teaching that does church amazing from Sunday to Sunday, meaning Monday through Saturday. It's filled, filled, filled with activities and community. Vintage Church in L.A. is their place. Anyway, John Mark Comer has been teaching about prayer there and it's been maybe the most impactful series I've heard on anything in my Christian faith in the past decade. It's come with a wonderful booklet 
on prayer with four weeks of exercises, but in his sermons and then the consequential week of practice, he explores there's actually four, four stages of prayer, four stages of prayer with many different components and practices of prayer. It is so expansive. It's like the Marvel Cinematic Universe where it's like not just one Avengers movies, but there's like 18, 20, and they're all connected. That's how prayer has been just radically transformed and blown my mind and what I've learned, right? But he he explains it as there's four main stages of prayer, which is talking to God. There's talking with God. There's listening to God. And then the last stage is being with God. And I totally encourage you, if you want to listen to someone who's a million times more smart than me, who's much more eloquent and funny than me, who is much more profound than me, look up Vintage Church LA and look up the John Mark Comer series, which has been playing over October and November 2023 at Vintage Church. So that being said, if we are focusing on prayer for your spouse specifically, this is a prayer that would fall under talking to God, and it would most likely fall under a prayer that is called petition or intercession. Like, shout out to my charismatics, and we've all <laughs> have that aunt or mom or grandmother uh, who's the intercessor in our life, who's praying in tongues all throughout the day and night, the intercessors, okay? Which, you know, maybe in another episode, I can talk about my horrible judgment of the intercessory prayer and why it actually does matter. Actually, we'll do that today. This is a prayer praying for your spouse, your future spouse, that would fall under a prayer of petition and intercession. We've heard a petition maybe, sounds like super old fashioned and totally like 19th century, like Puritan, but the prayer of intercession we've most likely heard, especially with our charismatic friends, our wave flagging friends, our people who speak in tongues at all hours of the day, you know, the intercessors of your life or your family who you definitely know of, okay? Now to give a definition of over each one, uh, petition, is asking God to do something on our specific behalf, okay? God, I'm petitioning you to show up. I'm petitioning you in my job situation, my career, or I, I don't know my next step. I'm petitioning you, God, to show up, reveal yourself on my specific behalf. Intercession is you are interceding on behalf of somebody else. You are you are asking God to do something purely on someone else's behalf. And so why this is funny is because for your future spouse is it is in essence a blended prayer, right? You are petitioning for God to do something in someone else's life on their behalf and your behalf, right? And if we're being honest, it is for their behalf and at the end of the day, too, it's most of the time on your behalf as well, which we'll talk about. Your motivation for that prayer is extremely important. Your heart behind the prayer of your future spouse is maybe the most important thing about praying for your for your future spouse. Now, all of Jesus' teachings on prayer can be summarized by one word over and over and over again. It's asking asking, 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 like that should be the essence 
of our prayer because prayer brings us to the end of our power and to the beginning of God's power. Think about it. Think about what I just said. Even those who don't even practice Christianity practice this idea and principle. That's You have to ask where it comes from. It's implanted in us. In World War II, there was a phrase that was coined by a chaplain saying this, there are no atheists in foxholes. And it's such a, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that prayer is the ultimate acknowledgement that I am at the end of my string. At the, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm waving the white flag. There is a situation here which I do not have the power to affect, understand, and overcome. That's the atheist in the foxhole. As you can see him quaking there, praying to himself. And that situation, think about it. He is powerless. He is powerless. So prayer brings us to the end of our power and to the beginning of God's power. And, you know, we can talk about how to pray and why it's important. Um, But I would just say, you know, the idea here of prayer, if I had to use another quote uh, from Dallas Willard, my idea of prayer and just saying, God, you got this. I'm going to chill out. You're in control. Like what's your will is your will. And that's what's going to be done. Like that's, that's, that's it. That's a wrap. Like I don't even, why should I even pray? Which is a great question, you know, and Dallas Willard said, and this is a wonderful quote that just blew my mind. He says that we are not merely passive set pieces in a prearranged cosmic drama, but we are active participants with God and the writing, the directing, the design, and the action that unfolds. Prayer, therefore, is much more than asking God for this outcome or that outcome. It is drawing into communion with him and there taking up our privileged roles as his people. In prayer, we are invited to join him in directing the course of his world. Now, that would be a sermon in itself for how there's a difference between a being a co-heir with Christ and participating in God's plan versus us being many gods, right? And establishing our will and God's will as some kind of like team effort, right? It's kind of like an invite for your child to participate within your plan and his opinion matters. His opinion and his ask matters. You know, I always go back to the first miracle where Jesus is at the wedding in Cana and he didn't change the water into wine until when Mary asked, Mary petitioned. So for us, that is rule number one when Jesus and his will and his plan and his actions, meaning if she didn't ask, he would not, we don't know, but I think we can assume that he would not have changed the water into wine, meaning we would not have seen God's will and actions unfold unless there was an invitation to draw into him, ask and petition for him to show up. Now, whether he does or not, that's not our decision and the directing of the plan, but we can surface our thoughts and opinions and ask and requests. Now, there's a lot of foundations of prayer, but I would just say, when it comes to prayer specifically and how to do it, 
when we talk with God, we have to understand that God is always forming. And oftentimes the way your prayers and your requests, think about like a, like a movie plot and you're kind of like suggesting to the director what you think should happen, right? <laughs> oftentimes the way that prayer and that request is answered is instead of the plot getting changed, you're the one getting changed, which is a wonderful thing. Because if there is like a, a fulcrum point of prayer, it's actually not so much the opinion and request itself. It's actually how you open up your innermost soul to the grace of God, the love of God that comes in and actually starts to begin and transform, heal, install, and build in your life. That's actually the power and the struggle and the wrestling of prayer, the grace of prayer. So that being said, if that's our definition for prayer and praying for a future spouse, well, <laughs> that changes everything, right? Because why? Because it changes it changes our definition of prayer and our objective of prayer, our motive for prayer, which matters. Your why, it matters. Why do you want to pray for your future spouse? Who, at the end of the day, if you're being really honest, who is this prayer for? Is this prayer and the motivation behind it, is it out of longing? Is it out of a, a fantasy about what your future spouse, what you hope they look like? Who you hope they will be for you because of what they can ultimately do for you and how they serve you and satisfy you? You see, biblically, there's actually no clear scripture anywhere in the whole Bible about specifically praying for your spouse. And that's where I Personally, I don't enjoy the idea of praying for your spouse because if the questions are being answered honestly and the prayer for your future spouse is all about you and what you want to get out of it and who you think you should marry and what you think you deserve, then guess what? Then if God's only role in your life is to deliver the one formed and fashioned the way that you think they should look like, then guess what? God is not your God. You are. And his role in your dating life is to be your Amazon delivery boy. Really is what it is. Now, I'm not condemning people who want to pray for their future spouse. Like I think the desire inherently could be coming from a good place. But if the role of God in your life is simply just to deliver, really manufacture and improve that person who's your future spouse, then... I just, I think like your idea of dating and marriage and, and God's role in your life is twisted. And I think it'd be a great time to actually stop dating because if Jesus is not the God of your singleness, then he's not going to be the God of your marriage. Your partner is, and you're looking for a marriage that is, that should be the last thing you desire because that marriage is the counterfeit God you're looking for to satisfy a God desire in your life. Now, that is for me, that is for everyone to really weigh and test and discern what is the motive for praying for your spouse. If your prayer life about your spouse is arriving you to a place where it's not bringing you closer to God, but it's making you focus more and more on your spouse and idolizing, fantasizing about them, thinking about them, daydreaming them, then it's 
it's not necessarily your intention that's wrong, but something is going down within your prayer life that is leading you to a place that is not closer to God. So for me, that's a that's a there is something inherently wrong in our process of prayer if that is where we are arriving. Now, if your prayer for the one is a struggle or wrestle, then then yes, I'm with you. And especially if the intention in the heart of the prayer is genuinely so what I would say is an intercessory prayer on behalf of that person, specifically and solely for that person, then yes. Praying for your spouse, if your soul is in that place, is a wonderful thing. And what I would say is when we graduate from it being a petition for your spouse, and petition, keep in mind, is on and for your behalf, when we move on from that, it is an intercession for your spouse, which I think is a wonderful thing. And it also cements when you pray and pray and pray for that person, I think, you know, there's a few things that happen in that process. You talk about praying for your spouse. This is where I personally think it should lead you. Three wonderful outcomes and byproducts of praying for your spouse. And this is what I miss. This is what I did not have as a single that I wish I did. You know, it cements your vision for your marriage and what you want. When you intercede for that spouse, you are praying on their behalf that they become a person who loves Jesus dearly, who walks in his ways. You are praying for a partner who you desire to pray for everything. They, they work as if everything counted on them, but they pray and depend on God like everything is from God. And ironically, guess what? When you, when you pray like that, you are practicing what you are desiring. Like, if you wanted someone who was incredibly fit, not just for me to admire their body and what they can do for me as a sexual object, but I want someone who's fit and healthy and whole. I'm actually going to be practicing that same fitness, and I know what I'm desiring because I'm out practicing it. And so I know without a doubt when I encounter someone who's serious about their fitness and their body and their being in great health, I can recognize that because I am practicing the same thing. In the same way, when we practice a sincere and authentic, genuine faith with a a vibrant prayer life, we will recognize that same thing in the wild because we are practicing exactly that same thing. So it's a wonderful thing for us to practice because we are practicing what we want. Uh, Kate has a wonderful quote. It's become the person you were looking for in yourself. That is exactly what that statement means. Now, number two, I think a wonderful thing that happens when we pray for our spouse like this is it it simultaneously releases control and builds contentment. My prayer for a spouse and my prayer life in a whole being vibrant, revitalized, rejuvenated is naturally a release that God, I'm acknowledging in my prayer for my spouse and interceding on their behalf that you are in control of their life and you are in control of mine, not me. And that, ironically, as we begin to fellowship with God and experience him, especially in the ways that I listed in those wonderful quotes, guess what is a natural byproduct of experiencing Jesus? Well, it is contentment because he's the bread of life that satisfies. And the intimacy and the fellowship that we thirsted for maybe in marriage and relationship is automatically filled. It's overflowing. It breeds and it rises within us like the the wellspring of life that I might have been coming to God to complain 
and surface my deep feelings of hurt and pain and confusion and, and wonder. And I left overjoyed and satisfied within him because I simply experienced his presence. That is the natural byproduct of experiencing Jesus is fulfillment, fulfillment, being filled. And now number three, the last byproduct, the last amazing thing that happens and why we should pray for our spouse is this. Prayer builds the foundation of your life now and also your future marriage. It's an investment that carries directly into your life today and also your future marriage. The, the cool thing about that is typically an investment is something that you, you think about a squirrel investing his acorns in the ground for winter. He's reaping them at a future time. Now, that's not an investment. That's a saving for a future time. Investment is something that compounds over time. It grows and grows and grows. In the same way that you're practicing praying for your spouse now, it's an investment because what do you think you do in marriage with your spouse in prayer? Well, you pray not only with them, but you still pray for them. Praying with your spouse, which by the way, we have a, a wonderful guest coming next week and we'll talk all about. Praying with your spouse is an activity that not many Christians do, which is mind-blowing because it is much harder than you think. But guess what? When you when you practice praying for your spouse in singleness, guess what you're going to be doing in marriage? You are going to continue what you've already started, which is praying for that spouse and in light of eternity, that God continues the work that he started long before you came and long after you were gone. The finishing, the sanctification, the holiness, the forming, the shaping. My favorite picture is that from you know Tim Keller, Meaning a Marriage. When you marry someone, you're not marrying their finished self, the finished statue of what they're going to look like. You are marrying a block of marble, and God is the chiseler. God is the artist. And your only role is to support him in that sense that he's the chiseling. Well, what better way to get a head start on that chiseling process than when you're single, praying for them, that God start that chiseling process. You get to continue along in that journey as God continues to work, work, work in their life. So a great prayer that you guys can pray right now today on behalf and for your future spouse is this. And I'll see you next week. Yes, that is a cliffhanger because I will see you next week. I love you guys. I know you're wondering what's going on here. Well, you got to check in next week and we'll let you know. Love you guys. Have a wonderful day and have a wonderful weekend. Let's go.